If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine, and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Welcome back to the Live Wild podcast, everyone. It's really hard to believe it's already mid-October. You know, when the leaves start to fall, I kind of start transitioning my thinking from elk to mule deer. Now, of course, the mule deer rut is an awesome time to hunt, but most tags out west are going to take place before the rut hits. So this week, I'm going to cover the places I tend to focus my glass and how to locate and hunt different bedding areas. We're going to call it mule deer hidey holes. We're going to look at the six habitat types, including breaks country, open steep hillsides, open timber mix, timbered logged country, regen burns, and alpine terrain. In each type, I'm going to cover my thoughts on where to look and how to glass it. But before we do that, I want to share the story of a recent hunt where the bucks we found were hiding out in the open. So I recently got an opportunity to hunt some awesome country in Wyoming for mule deer. I was hunting with a guy named Tim Montana. If you aren't familiar with Tim, He's actually a country music singer, uh, has some incredible music, so I definitely suggest you check it out. But now on this particular hunt, we both applied for mule deer tags. I didn't draw, but Tim did. We were hunting an area where we could draw. Well, I thought I had a chance to draw on a second choice in Wyoming, so he put it in his first choice. I didn't want to burn all my points, so I put it in somewhere else for my first choice and then put it in a second choice and... Uh, didn't draw. Although in the past it used to be a hundred percent. Now it looked like it's about 10% this year. So, uh, we ended up going out there still. I, I ended up drawing a, an antelope tag and then Tim also had an antelope tag. So, uh, we went out there and, you know, for me, mule deer is the main, like when I, anytime I can have a mule deer tag in my pocket, that is the best. Well, I didn't have a mule deer tag. So I got to kind of live vicariously through Tim, Tim and you know, rifle hunted, but never bow hunted. And so he decided he wanted to try hunting with a crossbow because he hadn't really transitioned to bow hunting, but thought, oh, he had this crossbow and thought, oh, this would be really cool to to hunt with it. And I was like, yeah, perfect. It's just like bow hunting. We got a stock, we got to get in. And um, it was a lot of fun. So the country that we were hunting in was very open country, real low brush, like short sage. And I would consider it more like, almost like that breaks type country um, where, you know, some of the stuff that you might maybe encounter in the Dakotas, Eastern Montana, places where it's like, you know, 
fairly flat and open and then these little draws and then in those draws kind of this you know sharp drop-offs in the bluffs almost like sand hills kind of stuff where it's it's a little bit uh some of these little draws would only be six feet tall uh, and they go into these bigger canyons and they'd spider off from there and all these little cracks and crevices moving down so in the mornings the the deer were actually uh, well, it just depended where we were, right? So there are some areas where they're feeding in some more agriculture type stuff in the bottoms or even just kind of in the river bottoms and then moving up in the morning, going kind of feeding out into these sage pockets and then just disbanding, breaking off in this broken country. And you look around and you go, there are no trees here. Where are these deer bedding? Where are they hiding? Because the middle of the day, they tend to disappear. And and in this type of country, I've found, you know, various places that I've hunted, it, it seems like, you know, there can be really high populations of deer in one spot. And then maybe other places is a lot more spread out in between deer. I've hunted similar type terrain in New Mexico, actually a lot of it in Arizona, um, in the fringes of that coos deer, mule deer habitat, where you kind of encounter these like big hills and then they split off from that. And there's all these little gullies and benches and pockets and not a lot of trees, not a lot of cover but enough places where deer can get out in bed. So I, I kind of treated it like some of the other places that I've hunted. It's like sometimes in the middle of the day when they're bedded up can be the easiest time to pinpoint them because you're focusing on the place that they're spending the most of the day. Now, this kind of end of September to beginning of November time frame, like we're in right now, can be one of the harder times to turn up deer because they just aren't moving as much. They're spending a lot of time bedding and they're just building up that strength for this, this rut that's about to happen. So kind of use that to our advantage that, okay, let, let's start focusing on where they're bedding. So we moved around a lot and we're finding those areas where we could look into and we'd find any amount of shade or cover. Some of these little pockets, like you'd be glassing and you see nothing. It's like, wow, this is completely open. It's, it's actually kind of hard to glass for deer in the open because you think like, oh, there's nothing there. Or if something was there, I would see it like that. And you start to really sit down behind the glass and pick it apart and you see these beds below these little ledges. I mean, these beds would be dug into the ground. It looks completely open. You, you just start looking wherever the hill or the little gully is casting shadow. And then you start to turn up, oh, there's an antler. Oh, there's an ear flick oh, there's a little bit of more brush and where this kind of goalie makes a head and you look in there, oh, here's some antler tips. So we, we'd we seen a few nice bucks move off this plateau and kind of disappear. So we work our way around the mountain and as I start glassing in, it was like this. I think we were probably facing, it would have been the north face of the mountain. And then there's all these little goalies coming off of it. And we got to a point where, we could look in there and start just picking out, okay, look into this pocket, look into this pocket where the creek bed corners, any little spot that we could see anything, look into. And from this one spot, I ended up spotting three different bucks. One was a really good, it was a big three by four, like just mature buck, awesome buck. Like, oh, okay, let's try to go for that buck. So he was bedded and he's bedded right at the top of this bluff. Well, I wouldn't even call it a bluff. It's just literally like a, yeah, like a, a wash, I guess. And so he's bedded right at the top of this wash and the wind was good. So we go around the backside and we just start sneaking. And our plan was like, you know, I talked to Tim. I said, look, 
there's a couple different ways we can do this. One of them is going to be where we could pretty much touch this deer and you're just going to have to peek over. And I thought that with, you know, I'm not, I haven't done a lot of crossbow hunting, but I thought, well, with the crossbow, you could probably just kind of go up to the ledge and shoot straight down. So we sneak in on this buck and everything's right. Wind's good. We take off our shoes. It's cactus country. I think I, the first three steps, I stepped on three cactuses. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, guys, watch where you're stepping, you know? Um, so we start creeping in. And there's myself, Tim, and then uh, a guy with a camera as well filming. And so we're moving in. We're just being super quiet. Everything's perfect. I slowly peek over and I see the back forks of this deer's antlers sticking up. And we are close, like 15 feet away. So we, we back up a little bit and reposition. We're trying to move where we can get his eyes blocked by the hill and hopefully get a shot at his body. So we end up creeping up. And I'm like, at this point, we're now is like we're committed. We're gonna move in and just see how close we can get. I know I, I recently did a podcast about getting too close, but sometimes it's just fun. You know, you just gotta try it. Like I definitely believe that had I just run and jumped, I could have jumped on this deer's back. However, with an already busted up hand, I feel like I would have ended up a lot more busted up after the end of this journey. So uh, we move up and we're like probably four or five feet from this buck like so close and at, as tim goes to just peek over the ledge i don't know if it's our shadow or, or what the buck popped up ran off i grunted and he stopped right at the bottom of the canyon but unfortunately it, it just didn't work out there's just too much too fast so kind of fast forward we figured that that was going to be our best bet it getting on a deer was, you know, finding embedded in this kind of open country where you just find this little, uh, this little depression and they're just bedded essentially out in the open. This country that, you know, normally you would drive past, normally you just seem, looks very unassuming. And what looks like wide open country, there's deer bedded in these little pockets. So a couple of days later, we had found another buck that we kind of considered our backup buck, just this big bodied three by three we'd seen him i think the first day but we were so focused on these other deer that we kind of just thought okay if we don't end up getting on this buck again that's going to be our backup buck so we've got the backup buck and we saw him in the morning and it's just so wide open we decided all right we're just going to let this buck bed we're going to see where he goes and then just let him bed and play it smarter we aren't going to go in so tight we're going to approach from a different direction but there's really no way to stalk this deer until he is in a position where he's locked down and we can make a move so the plan is just wait for him to bed so we go we, we actually chase some antelope for a little bit go back to the area where we'd seen him and sure enough he's bedded pretty much in the same bed that he was the day before and you can look like in these washes, there's these spots where the deer have just dug out below these little ledges in that softer soil and created a bed for themselves. So we spot the buck and we we get the wind right. And the plan this time is to crawl in to position, but the buck's facing the direction we're going. And there's a nut, well, at this point, we didn't know there was another buck bedded with him. So we see the antler tips of the buck we're going after and we just, start moving in we're using the contours to block his eyesight as we get closer it's like okay now the buck should be able to see us if we were up higher so now it's just crawl mode it's a little bit cactus country so we're kind of picking our way around these little prickly pears and everything and uh get into position i think we were probably 
40 yards away. And there's another buck now we're trying to keep both bucks eyes blocked as we're moving in. So we've got one buck off to the left and he's bedded looking downhill. Then the bigger buck bedded perfectly broadside in, in essentially this wide open country. The cover we've got two or three inches tall, but there's a, a little bit of a bigger bush in front of us. We're using that to block his head and then move into position. So we get into position and just as we're getting set up, the buck, I don't know if he like, you know, he just senses something's wrong and he stands up and he trots off a few steps. I grunt and range him. By this point, Tim's already on him. He releases his arrow from the crossbow. Perfect shot. And the buck just runs up over the ridge, actually jumps the fence, which surprised me. Um, it's like a cattle drift fence at the top and stops. And then that was it. And uh, walked up on an incredible open country buck. It was Tim's first mule deer, his first animal with any kind of arrow, anything other than a gun. And uh, it was a really cool experience to kind of be hunting mule deer in that such open country and having to play that game of finding the deer, finding the beds, and hunting those areas where they're hiding in those little holes. They're tucked in in very unassuming places. And by looking in those unassuming places, we found some success. One of the things that I really like to do when I talk about mule deer is break down the different places that they live. Because when it comes to mule deer, there's so many different types of country. You can be hunting them at 13,000 feet in the Alpine or in essentially the flat prairie sand hill type country, right? There's just so many varying places that mule deer call home. And there is kind of this, this thought that you know, they're behaving a certain way, but in each one of these types of environments, there's a couple little secrets that I like to think about of places that I consider their hidey holes this time of year, the places that get overlooked, the places that, and this could be pretty much any time of year, but especially this time of year where you kind of think, okay, there's no deer on that hillside because of this. But when you really start to pick it apart, you're going to find, okay, here's what I should be looking for in this particular type of area where I might be able to turn up a deer that I wouldn't otherwise turn up. There's so many places that I've found mule deer that I think I find mule deer there because other people look past them. It looks like good mule deer country. It might be prime mule deer country, but you know, it's like, well, there's a lot of this mule deer country. Where should I specifically locate. And this time of year, I like to think of what's that deer doing more than anything else? Well, he's bedding. He's in a place where he's not being bothered. He's bedded down because it's safe for him to be bedded. And he's in a little, what I would call hidey hole. Being able to turn bucks up in these hidey holes is a really good way to find success, kind of no matter the season, from the early August season, all the way through into that late migration time frame. So what we're going to do is I've broken down like six different habitat types and we're going to just look at each one of those and some of the ways that I think about glassing and turning up deer and what to look for to help you locate those hidey holes in that big country. So the first we're going to talk about is that open broken breaks country, something similar to what I was hunting, maybe something more prairie type country. You can find this pretty much every place where there are mule deer tags. There's this kind of country somewhere. The Southwest has a lot of this, but all the way through Idaho, um, places in Montana, Washington, you know, there you can find this even in other places where there's multiple habitat types. So, right, you might have a unit that has big flats all the way up to 
eight, 9,000 foot mountains. A lot of places that I hunt in Nevada have that where it's got the flats down low and then you've got the foothills and then you've got the big mountains and it's all within one unit. So these tactics can be used in different habitat types within the same unit. So this open breaks type country, when you think about bedding, we're kind of the consistent theme is going to be thinking about shade. Now in that real open country where it's, I mean, where I was hunting, in Wyoming was wide open. If you found something higher than four inches, <laughs> that was like a landmark, right? So one of the things that I'm thinking of when I'm looking in that broken country is I'm thinking about where's the shade and potential thick spots. To find these productive canyons, what I'm looking for is something that's steep and is able to create some place for a deer to kind of be concealed from that sun. Even later in the season, I mean, right now, uh, many places, it might be getting cold, but in the daytime, it can still be hot. And you throughout, like, later in the season, deer like that shaded hillside because it conceals them as well. The sun's not beating down on them, you know, unless it's extremely cold. They're looking for that concealment as well as a safe place to bed. Now, when you think about bedding animals, mule deer feel safe when the wind's at their back. But in sometimes in this breaks country, it's just not feasible for them. They can't find that place. So shade is first and foremost. It's the thing in least supply. So you're going to find shade even if sometimes that shade isn't ideal for safety. And that's where you can be really successful and get really close, like being able to sneak up. I mean, if I wanted to, I could have crawled up and grabbed that buck by the antlers. Actually, I uh, one of my buddies, Chris, had done something similar pretty much in the same place where he just snuck up to the edge and, and grabbed the rack of the mule deer because they're finding the shade foremost. And this can happen in a lot of places. Uh, there's a tag I was hunting in Idaho a few years back, and it was this same type of country where I was looking for these little shade pockets, and I was hunting this in December. It was like the first week of December, a little bit of post rut, but the bucks were off on their own and they're bedded essentially in the open in these little tiny breaks or places that created enough shade. So depending on the time of day is going to be depending on where I glass. And I want to be glassing into areas where the sun is going to be casting that shadow into these little cuts. The more cuts, oftentimes the better. Now, these type areas have lower densities. So my tactic this time of year is moving a lot and then just using my essentially eyes to locate, okay, here's a place that could be that shaded country. Now I'm going to sit down. I'm going to pick out those little shaded cuts. Every time I see that shaded cut, my eye is going to gravitate toward it and I'm going to put the glass on it. Binoculars first. Um, if it's further range, maybe that spotting scope and really like really study that shade because a lot of the time, it looks wide open and it is wide open, but it takes your eyes a minute to pick out that form of a bedded deer because it might be broken by some shadow. There might be other things that kind of distort what you're looking at. So really just sitting down, putting your glass into that shade spot and then moving, you know, the, the deer could be few and far between. So what I'm looking for is a couple of things. I'm looking for potential bedding areas. I'm also continually scanning for old beds you know if a deer took the time to dig out a spot where it's like okay here's a little bit of a, a lip the the little spot where we ended up killing the buck that we killed was probably no higher than three feet and you could see that the deer had probably dug down a foot 
That way his body would remain shaded, but his antler tips were sticking up and his ears probably got a little bit of sun on them as well. And, you know, he, he had taken the time to dig out of bed. This is somewhere where deer go, okay, there's something particular about this spot that it gets enough shade where they spent the time to create a bedding area. So by identifying like, okay, this canyon has bedding here. Yeah, but that bed's in full sun. Okay, well, maybe he used that earlier in the morning. Now let's move a little bit and look onto the other side of the draw or wash because what the deer will do is he'll bed on one side of the draw in the morning. Midday, he might move up to the top where there's a little bit of brush. And then as that starts to get sunny, now he'll move down to the other side and get shade on that side. So he's constantly moving or pop up over into the next little draw in bed there. So once you start to find beds and locate those beds, you go, okay, these are the potential bedding areas. Now I just got to look in this area. Okay. Maybe that there's a deer that uses these beds frequently or multiple deer. Uh, maybe it's not a buck. Maybe it's a doe. You don't really know, but you're going to start investigating and you go, okay, well, we're in the right zone. There's deer here. They've dug out beds. Now we just got to find the deer that are potentially here. And that involves moving glassing, moving glassing, and glassing into those shaded spots while there's shade on it. And then also looking for those places where you might see a, a wash and it's like, oh, a little bit thicker brush. Now I got to really analyze that. There was a couple of places on this hunt where we were walking and we knew there was deer. It's like, where did they go? And here they popped up 20 yards away. As I was glassing in there, they just had their head laid down in some little bit of taller sage where they're completely invisible. So finding those places, finding those beds, and really picking apart that country that it just needs to be enough to shade their body. Now let's move on to the second type of terrain. This is one, I mean, I've told the story of my mule deer this year, archery season, but steep open hillsides. This could be a really good place for deer to hide, and it looks wide open. Now, I want you to kind of, I'm going to build the picture of what I consider a steep open hillside. Oftentimes this would be in like sage country, high desert, where you've got a mountain and it's just sage, but it's not real tall sage and it's got a really good pitch to it. You find this kind of country a lot, places that you might hunt like Nevada, Wyoming, Idaho a lot, certain places in Montana, of course, Washington, especially Eastern Washington and Oregon. Like you, you find these these type of habitats there a lot. Now you look at these places and you go, man, it's wide open. It's a lot of the places that guys drive past to go to the better looking mule deer country <laughs> in many ways, because you look at it and it looks all the same. It looks like nothing could hide there. And it looks like if there was something there, you would see it right away. And when you really start to pick this type of country apart, you realize that that's not the case. So what it is, is you'll have this big mountain face, big steep hillside, There'll be probably some kind of sage on it, maybe some open. And what the deer are doing is the reason that that pitch helps is because the steepness of the hill actually blocks the sun and provides good shade for them. What they'll do is similar to in that breaks kind of country, they're going to dig out their beds. I've found places where deer have dug five feet deep on these hillsides. And you're like, you're serious? Yeah, like they dig out these holes and they go and they plop down in them and they're very, very hard to see when they're bedded. And it's not a place that's easy to walk. It's not like you know, a lot of people are walking through these areas. And so, you know, the deer find that they're safe there. It's an area that people overlook. It's an area that people aren't walking through. It's an area that provides shade and they've got their bedding and their safety and their security. And in many cases, 
they can bed with the wind going downhill and they feel like they're kind of covering with their ears and their eyes the other direction. So they're fairly safe. And this is a really good place to look for deer. Now, when I look at these open hillsides, there's a few things that I first look at. The first is going to be, and this kind of goes with all this type of country, but especially in this, I particularly pay attention to the orientation of the hill. So, you know, in the mornings, you can get, you know, more of a, a west face slope. So the direction, like if you're standing on the hill facing west, because the sun's rising in the east and that west face is going to be shaded a little bit longer. North faces are the shadiest side of the mountain. So that's always a good bet as well, maybe more midday. And then, you know, it transitions to that east face a little bit later in the day as after the noon, once the sun's kind of popped over, that becomes more shaded. All the deer needs is enough shade with the pitch of the hill to block and protect them from the sun. And it doesn't take much. So when I'm glassing these these big wide open spots, I'm gonna sit down, you and me are sitting down on a mountain, we're looking at the mountain, and just what I'm gonna immediately identify visually is go, okay, which way is the wind going? I like to get the wind in my face when I'm glassing a hillside because I know, okay, that's probably a good bet that it's gonna be a good location, but not always, right? Like I said in this example before, shade's going to be the most important. And this is a way that you can find deer, especially when you're bow hunting them, that put themselves in an advantageous position for the hunter because they need that shade first and foremost. They're like, oh, I'm not going to go sit in the sun. And there just isn't a good shaded spot this time of day with the right wind where I'm at. So that's something to think about. But when I sit down, we're sitting down on the mountain. I'm looking, I'm like, okay, where could a deer be? And my eye starts to gravitate toward the little bit of taller vegetation in that area. So sometimes you'll be looking at a hillside and you go, okay, here's a pretty open hillside and here's like a little patch of stunted aspens that are probably a foot tall or whatever, look small from your vantage point. It just depends how far away you are. Here's a spot where the sagebrush is taller and you'll see on the mountain, there'll be these patches of varying heights of vegetation. Then what I'll do is I'll, I'll get my glass out, I'll get super steady and I'll start looking at those taller patches of vegetation and go, okay, is there somewhere where I can tell that something's been dug out or where there's a potential for something to bed? One thing that you'll also notice on these really steep hillsides is identifying these game trails back and forth. You'll look at a hillside and you go, man, that's a steep hillside. Look at all those trails on it, right? And you don't think more of it. Those trails, because when it's really steep, you know, deer, elk, anything like to walk where it's more level and over the years have built paths on these steeper hillsides. Uh, recently, I was driving through a, a fresh burn, a place that I'd hunted before and you know, there was a recent fire and now you could see the ground. And it was just a super steep mountain. And you look at it now that it's burned and you just see zigzag trails back and forth that have always been there. But it, it was just a really interesting look at it now because you go, okay, you know, on all these hillsides, there's preferred routes that these animals take. Now, same goes for this more open country, uh, steep hills. You're going to notice these trails and you go, okay, well, now let's pay attention to those trails because those trails are there for a reason. It's a travel path. And when they go into these other places, a lot of times it'll be a travel path to feeding, but it could also be a travel path to bedding. So I'm sitting down on the mountain and I'm just taking stock of what's in front of me. Those real steep hills with a lot of zigzag track. And now, okay, I've got a couple taller pieces within that. 
those are going to be the places that I'm going to start focusing on because what will happen is a deer will walk those trails in and then they'll find these or create these little digouts where they've got their shade. And that might change throughout the day too. So they might be in this one spot when it's advantageous for you know the morning and then move midday to the other side of the canyon where you've got the same thing. So we're going to find that spot where if you get low enough, you can avoid the sun and it doesn't take much to lay down and get out of the sun. And you'll start to see like in the real steep hills where they've dug out and made a flat spot for themselves to bed. One, they're really safe there. And two, they can be very difficult to spot there. So what I do is I do a grid style glassing. So on this kind of country where it all kind of looks the same, I start to identify those key places and then I start to pick it apart left to right, top to bottom, where I just put my binoculars, spotting scope, whatever on the tripod and I just grid it back and forth, go cover left to right, drop it down a little bit, back and forth. And I'm really focusing in on pieces of a deer. And if I see one of those places that looks like a place maybe where something's dug out, especially if I got a spotting scope or I've noticed it with my binoculars, I'll pop the spotting scope on, I'll zoom it up full magnification, focus it and just stare at it for a little bit. There are so many times where the deer that I've picked out, I completely would not have seen if I didn't do that because I've got like they're tucked into these holes and it will surprise you sometimes how long you have to stare at something to realize, oh, that's the back leg of a deer. Okay, now I got to figure out what kind of deer it is, especially in that bright sun when they're bedded in their midday. It can be very difficult to actually pick them out. So, you know, I just really start to pick this country apart. I glass it slow and I spend a lot of time gridding and looking over that particular place. And if I find an area where, okay, here I can see a dugout bed. Now I'm going to just kind of continue looking in that same area. Maybe there's not a deer there, but I know, okay, deer do bed on this hillside. I'm kind of in the right area already. Now I'm just going to keep slowing down and picking apart that entire mountain. Now let's jump to number three. So this is going to be that open country with timber pockets. So you think about this, this is kind of like mid elevation mountain. This is probably some of the more popular general area type country where you've got some big mountains, maybe some big timbered mountains all around, but there's other places where it's more open hillside, uh, typical elk country where you've got the big grassy openings. You know, I, I see this a lot, places like Oregon, Wyoming, Idaho. You know, this is a, a fairly popular type of terrain where people hunt, but it can be very difficult to deer hunt as well. One of the nice things about this is, yeah, you've got your opens, opening areas where if a deer moves out into that, boom, it's easy to spot them because they're up and feeding in the open. But this time of year, they're probably more hugging that timber. So these timber pockets are generally like it's more open on the south face and timbered on the north face. And these north faces are going to be the ones that we start to concentrate on. Now, the one thing that I see hunters do is they, they get back and they, they start looking at the mountain and they're looking in all these open areas and they go, there's no deer here. And then they look at the timber and they're kind of glassing in there and it's, yeah, you can't really see because what's happening is they're, they're glassing what I would consider like crosswise to the timber where all the trees stack up and it blocks the view of the ground. You can see it a little bit, but you can't see it all. So in this type of country, what I really like to do is I like to move and glass each individual timber pocket directly into it. So you got to get directly across from the face of it and glass straight into it. When you do that, you're going to realize it really opens up your view. 
we've killed a lot of mule deer while I've been guiding this time of year where we just, we get into this type of country and we just glass each one of these little timber pockets one by one where we go to that pocket. And it's like, yeah, from a distance we look and first thing in the morning, I'm glassing the openings, of course, and the fringes and where I got a really good wide view and I can cover a lot of country. And then once that's over, it's a, okay, now I go find the deer that are in the pocket that are bedded down that I need to be able to pick those pockets apart. So I move and position each one of those where I'm looking directly into it. And I can do the same thing. I can kind of slow glass and grid and look for those beds. I don't want to look crosswise. I want to look into it. And what I'm doing is I'm glassing for game trails. I'm glassing for those same kind of depressions in the ground where it would be considered a bedding area and I'm focusing on the ground looking for pieces of deer I'm using the high magnification and really focusing in and increasing the magnification to try to pick apart deer that are bedded in that area at first glance you generally look in you throw up your binoculars you go I don't see anything and that's as someone that has looked over a lot of these type of places that happens a lot, right? You sit down and you look at it and you're like, I don't see anything. But then I really start to pick it apart. I really start to, to dive in, get the glass steady and start gridding that area and focusing on, okay, what kind of trails are in there? Do I see any potential bedding zones where even though there's not a deer there? And if I see a lot of that, then I sometimes just kind of sit there and wait because what you'll do is you'll see a deer that gets up and rebeds or moves as the sun starts to shift. So the best time for this kind of glassing into this timber is that like, mid-morning portion from like after first light to like noon and then the kind of like first part in the evening as well where is that time when the shadows are moving enough where they get up they move they adjusting their beds and they're moving around in there so they'll get up move and then rebed and that's when you catch most of the deer so you're set up looking into each one of these pockets from across it like straight into the face of it and that's a really good way to turn up deer in this kind of country when most of the deer are hanging out in those timbered pockets and not popping out into the open. Now our fourth country type is going to be that timbered country and I think of this as like logged timber country. So uh, a lot of places in Washington, Oregon, Montana, pretty much anywhere that there's it's big mountain, big timber. This is a good way to find mule deer and it can be probably some of the hardest country to hunt in. But I found a lot of success hunting this type of timbered country, focusing on those old logging roads, just like we talk about anything. You know, you find those steep hillsides where it's been logged, and that creates these terraces and these flat benches. And these are really good places for mule deer. Some of the biggest mule deer I've killed in timber country, we've spotted bedded on these terraced logging pieces. And the same, it's kind of similar, like you'll realize the pattern. We're looking for that shade. We're looking for that hill orientation that provides the most shade. We're looking for that better wind if possible. In this type of country, it's a lot easier for deer to find shade and it doesn't take much to conceal them. So finding those places where it's really terraced out, where they've got a lot of roads back and forth, and then those roads are starting to overgrow, what you're going to get is you're going to get consistent shade. You've got good brush type country that opens it up for the sun. So you've got mule deer food source. You've got a place where they don't have to go very far. And you've got a place where mule deer can hide really well from most hunters. This type of country, I last year, I was glassing into an area and I'm going to go, okay, like, you know, we're looking and I, and I tell the hunter, I'm with, okay, look toward these logging roads, like these old logging roads. These are going to be the place of the deer traveling. Like you look at this giant mountain, you go, there's some phenomenal country here, right? I mean, big open meadows, rocky bluffs. Like you just look at 
thousands of acres of just phenomenal country. And I'm telling you to glass that old crappy logging road across the way. And sure enough, five minutes later, here comes a couple small bucks and they're traveling this little area because it's easier. And then they go and they, they, they're on one side. It's like a draw and they're on one side and they're moving to go bed on the shady side of the other. And we watch these hunters above them walking and looking and seeing nothing. And those deer just stayed bedded there. And it's just a really good place to focus your your search in that type of country because it's a place that they use a lot and it's really advantageous for them. It's got the cover, it's got the things that they like, and it provides a flat, easy travel route, but also good bedding area as well. So that's where I focus on those. And in places where you can't glass very far in that type of country. Those are some of the places that I actually choose to travel, places where, you know, I'm going to get the wind right and move down and use that as a jump off point to be glassing up and down the roads and just kind of like moving through and still hunting that country. Some of the best bucks I've taken have been, you know, hunting that old logging road, like stuff that's been logged 20, 30 years ago. But that type of country where it gives you a place to walk quiet and it also provides good habitat and travel routes for deer and also really good bedding spots that they tend to be bedded up in in the middle of the day. So number five is going to be the regen burn. So we've got the burn, the big swaths, and then you've got these little places where, you know, maybe there was a standing patch of live timber that didn't get burned and it's a spread enough seed in this wet little spot that's like everything else is pretty burned up and here you've got these short two-foot pines. Well, of course, that's going to be the magnet for cover for a lot of mule deer bucks. I love hunting burns. I cut my teeth guiding and hunting in, in burned areas across the West because, hey, the West catches on fire every, you know, every year there's a fire season and every year it opens up different kinds of habitat. And over the years, you figure out what works for the hunting style that you like to do. So the regen is where most of the deer that live in the burn are going to go find that bed. And it's the same thing as, you know, picking these other places. I like to find the steep places that have the regen where you'll see the game trails going through in and out and the same kind of deal where they can dig out a nice little hole. But when they get into that regen, they get completely covered up. They're very, very hard to see. So when it comes to glassing that, I treat it like that more open timber country where I get across from that spot and I glass into it. And what I'll do is I'll glass and sometimes... First thing, I'll glass, sit down, glass, move a, a few inches over, glass again, move a foot over, glass again, walk down a little bit, glass again. Because what I'm doing is I'm hoping that I can catch something that's bedded, but complete, getting completely new views of good country. So the areas where I know there's deer popular, where I've seen deer before, maybe I've seen deer later in the season or earlier in the season or seen deer in and around here, but just can't turn them up right now. I go, okay, these big swaths of like, and what I mean by regen is like regenerating trees and you'll get a lot of other brushes in there. A lot of things that deer are going to start to feed on. And so in the middle mid morning, first thing in the morning, you know, I'm really covering this. And then as I think deer start to bed, then I'm just picking it apart, but moving myself a little bit to get new and different views on that type of country from across looking straight into it, not kind of crosswise where it's covering up a lot of my view. And then a lot of times I'll, you know, have my binos locked off on a spotter or I'll throw the spotting scope on there, really start to pick it apart. And primarily most of the deer that I see, it's either by moving and just picking out a piece of the deer or seeing some antler tips, like generally looking for bucks, 
picking out one tine, two tines that just stick out past something, you know, oh, got him there. Um, it can be, you know, that can be some of the hardest stuff to get in on the deer and get a good shot. Most of the time though, you know, I try to find a, a place where, okay, I can get into position and then wait for that deer to stand. Um, there's been times where I've had to try to sneak in there. It doesn't work so well, but you know, when it comes to finding the deer and that stuff, you know, being patient, looking into it, and then just picking it apart, uh, with your optics and then moving your body, you know, so I'll, I'll glass it back and forth. No, nothing. Move myself. Same deal. Back and forth. And you, it feels like you're repetitive. Like, oh gosh, there's nothing in there until you turn something up. And you go, okay, I just found something that someone else wouldn't find because it was very, very hard to see. It's that needle in a haystack. But if you look long enough, you're going to find that needle. All right. Number six, is that more alpine country? This could be classic high above the timberline, or this could even just be like high desert stuff. One of the things that I really like to look for this time of year or even later in the season you know even going through into the rut when i've got that high like a high country hunt some of my favorite places to hunt and you'll find that there was these patches of timber up there not pine timber but like aspens alders birch you know just different stuff like that this now started to lose its leaves and that really provides you with an added benefit of the deer don't really know that that place that they've been, that little hidey hole that they've been calling home all season, it makes it easier for you to see in there. And it's not easy to see in there, but it's easier. Like it's actually glassable now, whereas before it was just you look into it, you felt like you could see something, but you couldn't. As the leaves start to fall, it provides you an advantage to be able to look into there. Deer can be, mule deer especially, can be really hard to pick out and this stuff. And this goes for mule deer elk. A lot of these glassing tactics work for elk as well. But what I do is similar to looking into that regen where, uh, you know, just moving a little bit here or there makes a big difference. You think you can see the ground, but you got to get across from it. You high power optic, zoom in, and just really start to grid each one of those pockets. And when you feel like you've really picked that pocket apart, move on to the next pocket and just hit pocket to pocket to pocket sooner or later you're going to turn up a buck that gray color gets really lost in those like you know scrub aspen i call them scrub aspen or even you know places in new mexico where you've had that scrub oak and you've got this giant oak brush hillside in utah and new mexico and a lot of places and this time of year right when those leaves drop it provides you an opportunity to be able to spot things that you know normally hidden especially if you get a, a little dusting of snow it, it definitely helps a lot because you can see the tracks where they're going in and out and then start to pick that apart but that's a really good place to look so those kind of places are places to key in on and these might be things that you can key on all these types of habitats in one area and one hunt within a few days or whatever but just think about these kind of places and finding those hidey holes mule can hide in some of the most unassuming places i think i find most of my success looking in places that are unassuming places that are like gosh that looks too desolate or man that's like really hard to find a deer in there there's nothing here i don't see anything and by just kind of really hammering that picking it apart and and using a few of those glassing strategies i've turned up a lot of bucks and found a lot of success well, I hope you guys have enjoyed that. If you can't tell, I'm fairly passionate when it comes to a lot of different types of hunting, but mule deer hunting and calling elk in particular, those are some of my favorite topics. And I think that there's just so much 
to learn about mule deer. I mean, myself, I'm going out tomorrow and I'm going to be putting a lot of these exact tactics that I'm talking about to use to, to find success for myself. You know, I've got a, an idea in my head of what I'm looking for. And, you know, I'm going into a hard area and I'm going like, man, it's hard to even find a deer. Many of the times that I go to some of these places that I particularly like to hunt, I go, okay, I'm tomorrow I'm going to be hunting in an area of, with a bunch of regen. Like it's, it's horrible to hunt, but I've turned up some giant bucks, deer that are very hard to find and deer in places that other people aren't looking. And because of that, I found some success in over-the-counter type units where it's like, man, you just turned up a giant buck. So I think that there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to talk about, but it's something that I think if you know you, you do a few of these tips and tactics, you're going to start finding success in places where you maybe didn't think about finding success before or struggled finding success in the past. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, if you want more mule deer hunting tips and tactics, I've talked about it before, but now is as good a time as any. I've got my outdoor class course is on finding mule deer. You can always use code live wild on that and you'll get 20% off. And then if we ever do any like special events or giveaways, you know, I just use the people that have used my code for those as well. So that's something to think about. Also, I was on there. I saw Hank Shaw has a new uh, series on there. I really like his cooking style, his recipes. You know, my buddies and I have used a lot of his recipes over the years. In my opinion, he's one of the masters when it comes to wild game preparation. So, you know, if you have the outdoor class, you get all of the other courses for that price in the subscription. You don't pay per course. So you can go for my course. It doesn't really matter. If you signed up for another course, you can watch my course. So that's a cool thing. We all work together with that. Everybody's courses are available to everybody that subscribes. So that's just something to, to check out and more courses are going to be added. And I'll, I'll be having a new one there beginning of next year. So just something to look forward to. But if you haven't checked that Hank Shaw one out, I think that's a really awesome one. Check that out. So, you know, until next week, I'm just going to say, gosh, man, you know, I, I, I think about these podcasts and, and then when it comes to the ending, I just can't nail a good ending down. We're going to say, find the hidey hole. That's, I don't know, that sounds weird, but I like it. Find the hidey hole. <laughs> Catch you guys later. <laughs>